Good morning, Golden Corner Church. I want to say that I sure am glad to see you today, that you were willing to brave the great blizzard of 2017, uh, risk your personal well-being to be here at church today. Uh, yeah, I am, let me say, I am thankful that you're here. Typically, this is a poorly attended Sunday. We, we set our clocks ahead, and we lose that one hour sleep, and so... You know, or we just forget and we have a tendency to miss this day or there's snow in the forecast or, you know, you wake up and it's drizzling. And, of course, some of the folks who came to the first service, they made up for their one hour of sleep during the sermon and they're, they left here well-rested, refreshed. They're feeling real good about it. And <laughs> you know what? If I can bless you with 35 minutes of solid sleep, I, you know, I'll take that as a, as a real blessing if I can help you in that way. When you come to the end of your life, do you want to be able to look back and see that you made a difference? That in some way, you left the world a better place than you found it. That somewhere along the path that God led you, you encountered some people And God used you to make a difference in their life. Is that what you want? Now, I ask you that. I mean, you know, the standard answer here is, yeah. I want want us to be honest with ourselves here. Is it really what you want? And and I I know for some of you that it, it is. With all sincerity, that's your objective in this life. I want to make a difference. You can. And what I want to do this morning is tell you a step that you've got to take. And if you take it, I promise you this. You're not only going to make a difference, you're going to make a remarkable difference. That's what's going to happen. I want to tell you the story of four men. They're actually two sets of brothers. There's Peter and Andrew and James and John. These four men started a church in the city where they lived, the city of Jerusalem. They partnered together with seven or eight other men to serve as a leadership group. And and they gathered around them a core group of about 120 believers. And for ten days they met together to pray and to organize themselves. Now, at the end of that 10-day period, they launched their church, I guess using today's terminology. They had their first church service. The fellow we're talking about here, Peter, he got to preach the sermon. He preached his sermon. He gave an invitation. Perhaps he did the thing, you know, if you accepted Jesus today, would you let me know by raising your hand? And to his, I believe to his shock, 3,000 people put their hand up and said, I accepted Christ today. Three, did you get that? 3,000 people accepted Christ and joined this church You know, at their, at their first service. You go from a comfortable attendance of low 100s, and the next thing you know, man, your attendance the next week is in the thousands. That's amazing to me, Joe. You know what amazes me more than that? Is what happened next. After that first service, the Bible says people 
started, people were being saved and joining the church every day. Not just Easter and Christmas. Not just during a revival service or the bring your friend day, you know. No, 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 no. Not just Sunday mornings. Every day, Tuesday evenings, Saturday afternoons, people were saved every day and they were joining this church so that in a short period of time, this church was averaging over 15,000 people in attendance. And, And this growth wasn't coming from the musical chair game that, you know, how churches, we kind of play musical chairs you go to a church until you're bored with it or somebody hurts your feelings, then you move, you go to another church. And so, you know, I know sometimes God leads us to other churches and, and He has me at that time, in time past and I know that happens, but, but it, it wasn't that their growth was coming from, man, we got a, you know, a new band or whatever and all these people are leaving these churches and they're coming, they're coming to our church. Uh, listen, their growth was coming from the unsaved population. People by, school, by the scores were being saved and coming to their church. Now, these, three men, these four men, they had such a degree of God's power about them that they did miracles. They performed miracles. You know, it'd be, I think it'd be awesome enough if, if, if I could perform one. You know, these guys were performing lots of miracles. It was pretty commonplace for members of the church to see one of these four men perform a miracle. They, were, they could heal the sick and the diseased. They could heal the, the lame Open blind eyes that could cast evil spirits out of people. I'm going to tell you something. You're going to find hard to believe. Uh, one of these guys actually raised someone from the dead. The Bible said the apostle Peter had such a sense of God's presence and power about him that people would bring their sick relatives out on the street and, and lay them down in the hopes that Peter's shadow would just come across. You think about the level of the power of God. His shadow would come across them and they'd be healed. These four men became renowned theologians. If anybody in that day had a question as to what is truth, What's the truth here? As God, as God sees it, you know who they would go to? They'd go to one of these guys. Peter, Andrew, James, John. They became authors. Collectively, they wrote seven books. And every one of their books became bestsellers. And a matter of fact, they're still bestsellers. And when people would read their books, their lives would be changed. I'll bet you you've read their books. You say, I, I don't know. Uh, yeah, all their books are in the Bible. They're part of our Bible, and I bet you've read their books. These guys had vision. They had foresight. Now, they're, t- they're, they're really making a difference in Jerusalem. I mean, they're really putting a dent in things. They had this idea, we can make a difference beyond the boundaries of our city. So they sent missionaries into Asia. And these missionaries, you know, every, they would go into villages and towns and cities. And, you know, of course, they, you know, they, they were, there were no churches, of course, and there were no Christians. And, and they would preach the message of Jesus and people would be saved. Lots of people would be saved. And, and by the time they left the town, they had established a church. Until the next thing you know, the people from this church in Jerusalem had evangelized all of Asia. And then these guys had greater vision. They said, you know what? We can go even further than that. They sent missionaries into Europe who did the same thing. So that in time, 
I mean, they not only were winning tens of thousands of people in their own community, you know, they had evangelized Asia and Europe. It was even said of this, of these four men. They have literally spread the influence of Christianity throughout the entire civilized world. You think they made a difference? I mean, they, looking back over their lives, they had to be astounded that they had, had made that kind of a difference. But if they could look ahead, I believe that it would be unfathomable at the difference they could see that they made. Because you understand that God used these four men to start a movement that continued today that has even affected your life. And that movement was Christianity. Now, what was their secret? What did they do? That enabled them to make such a difference. Do you think perhaps that some mainline denomination had done a demographic study of, the, of Jerusalem and the surrounding area. And said, you know, we're expecting rapid, almost explosive growth in this area. So this is an area prime and ready for a new church plant. And so they contact some prestigious seminary and say, we need four of your best and brightest students. I mean, four really up-and-comers and comers and you know, you pick out the cream of the crop and we're going to really pour resources into them and we're going to send them into Jerusalem to start a church. We need four exceptional men in order to take advantage of an exceptional opportunity. You think that's the way it went down? Well, you be the judge for yourself. I want you to re- read something with me. It's a verse. It's actually a part of a verse found in the New Testament book of Acts, chapter 4, verse 13. And Peter and John, two of the guys we're talking about here, they had been arrested for preaching, and they've been evaluated by the council. That's the way it's written. Can you imagine that? You guys are going to have to go before the council. That sounds kind of ominous. So they go before the council, and these guys interview them, and they're kind of sharing their thoughts about these four guys, these two guys in particular. Now, I want you to look at what it said. The members of the council were amazed when they saw the boldness or the confidence And the competence of Peter and John, for they could see that they were exceptional men. Did I get that right? What does it say about them? They were ordinary men. They were ordinary men with little special training in the scriptures. Did I get that right? What does it say? Which means this, they had no formal education or training. Now this council examines these two guys, and this is the conclusion they come to. These are just four regular guys. Four regular guys. Now, they had, listen, they had skills. Because you know what what they did for a living? They were fishermen. Amen, Tim. Amen. So they, they, had a, they had a skill set. They knew how to read the sea and determine when the sea was most likely to yield a profitable catch. They knew how to read the skies and know when it's time to get on the water and when it's time to get off of the water. They knew how to prepare a net and how to cast a net and catch a fish and clean a fish and market their fish. They knew all about that. They knew how to handle a boat. Listen, they could back it in the water if they needed to. They had skills, but in what way would their skill set lend them to make such a remarkable difference in their world? What was their secret? 
I want to read the final sentence of Acts 4, verse 13. The council went on to say, these are just regular dudes, and they haven't been trained. They, they have no degree. Uh, but they went on to say, they also recognized them as men who had been with Jesus. These guys have spent time with Jesus. These guys have been hanging out with him. Ronnie, what does that mean? I want you to read four verses with me. Let me see if I can explain this. Matthew chapter 4, verse 18 through 22. Uh, we're going to read this together. And, and let me tell you what's happened. Jesus has just started his ministry. I mean, he's just started preaching. He's in the very early stages. And he goes out one morning to take a stroll. And that's what we're reading about here. Verse number 18 says, One day as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon also Peter, and Andrew. So there's two of our guys. What were they doing? They were throwing a net into the water, for they fished for a living. Jesus called out to them, Come, follow me, and I'll show you how to fish for people. And they, this is a key word. You see that word? What is that word? Left. They left their nets at once, and they followed him. A little farther up the shore, he saw two other brothers, James and John, the other two guys we're talking about, sitting in a boat with their father Zebedee, repairing their nets, and he called them to come too. They immediately followed him. What's that word? Tell me. Leaving. Leaving the boat and their father behind. Now, here's what I want to do. You've got to really hang with me over the next couple of minutes, okay? Because I need to explain something, and it's kind of foundational. I want you to get it. So you promise me you're going to hang on every word. You're not going to sleep like that first crowd, right? Not going to sleep? Matter of fact, it's a cold in here. If you could go to sleep in here right now, hats off to you. And I'm not complaining. I kind of like it that way. But some of you don't look like you're liking it that way. And I think I saw my breath just a moment ago when I said something, so... What I want us to do is take a close look at this call. Jesus said, come follow me. What is he calling these men to do? He's actually calling these men to be his disciples. If, if you look this phrase up, follow me, the, the Greek wording that the New Testament was originally written in, that's what it means. He was calling them to be his disciple, which to me opens up another question. What's a disciple? A disciple is a committed learner and follower. I want you to get this. A disciple was a student, so they're committed to learning, but they were committed to far more than learning. They're committed to practicing what they learn. They learn and they do. They learn and they do. A disciple was a committed learner of a specific teacher. And in that culture, that teacher probably would have been a, a Jewish rabbi and a, a, a religious leader. Oftentimes, in order to perpetuate their ministry or just expand their ministry, a rabbi would invite certain people to become his disciples. And these disciples were allowed to spend personal time with and develop a relationship with a rabbi. In the context of this relationship, the rabbi would teach his disciples. He would teach through example and through dialogue. The rabbi would set the example, teach the Bible, and even give certain assignments to his disciples. I want you to do this, you need to do this, you need to do that. And these disciples were expected to follow the rabbi's example, absorb his teachings, and do whatever the rabbi told them to do. Now, as a result of this discipleship process, the disciple, in the end, was to become like his teacher. So, these men knew what he meant when he was saying, come be my disciple. 
Jesus was calling these men to spend time with him. That was it. He wanted them to be wherever he was, accompany him wherever he was going to go. He was offering these guys an opportunity to really get to know me. To develop a relationship with him. And in the context of this relationship, Jesus was going to set an example for them. He was absolutely giving them a front row seat. And you're going to have unobscured uh, opportunity to see everything that I'm about to do. He was offering himself to become their personal mentor. He wanted to invest in each of their lives through personalized teaching and training. Can, and you think about this opportunity, what he's calling these guys to. Now, along with this call, Jesus made them a promise. He said, follow me, and I'm going I'm to show you how to fish for people. Now, I don't want you to think less of Jesus and what he's saying here. He's not saying you're going to throw a net around these people. You're going to drag them up on the bank, and we're going to gut them and skin them and pack them on ice and sell them. In the That's not what he's saying, guys. You got it? You with me? So what, is this, what does this promise mean? Follow me and I'll show you how to fish for people. In the King James Version, the promise actually reads like this. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. That phrase, I will make you. Here's what Jesus was promising. If you'll spend time with me, learn from me, and put into practice what you're learning, I'll do something inside you, changing you into the kind of person whose life will kind of act like a net. And your life will begin to draw people to me. That's the promise he's making. Now, how did these guys respond to this call? Immediately, with no reservations, no questions, they dropped everything, modified their lifestyle, and they began to follow him. For over three years, they walked with him, watched him, sat around the fire and talked with him. They followed through with the assignments that he gave them. They put into practice the things that he was teaching them. They were faithful to follow, and as a result, Jesus kept his promise, and he changed them. He made a difference in them that enabled them to make a difference in others. That's a key statement. I'm going to say it again. They followed. Jesus kept his promise, and he made a difference in them that enabled them to, in turn, make a difference in others. Others. That's how these four regular guys made such a remarkable difference. They followed Jesus and he transformed them into difference makers. You say, how could he do that? Jesus is the difference maker. Now, what have we learned in this story? I want you to get this. Man, let this sink in. I want you to get a hold. I want it to take root. Regular people can make a remarkable difference. Man, let that go. Come on now. Don't doze on me right there. I'm going to give everybody the clear signal when you can start nodding. Okay, you ready? It's not now. Regular people can make a remarkable difference. How, you ask? Follow Jesus. That's it. I want you to think about the opportunity that was extended to these men. Can you put yourself in this position? Let's say you show up at work tomorrow. I mean, you're half asleep. Uh, you know, you've, you've finished the first cup of coffee. You're in dire need of another. You've got the whole stinking week ahead of you. And, and all of a sudden, man, you turn around and Jesus is standing there. And he said, hey, uh, let me throw an idea out there by you. I'm, I'm going to give you an opportunity. How about me and you become the best friends? I mean, tight. 
buds. Where you see one, you see the other. We'll hang out together. Talk. We'll be basically inseparable. And, and I tell you what, as we're hanging out, I'll I tell you what I'll do. Uh, I'll act as your personal mentor. I will tailor-make a training program just for you, and, and I'll invest in you and, and help you become uh, the person you've always wanted to be, the person that I see that you could be. I, I'll, I'll do that for you. As a matter of fact, you know, this is what I've got in mind. i got a big thing going on, a big thing going on in this world right now, and uh, I've chosen you to be on my team. I'd like to involve you in this. What do you think about that? Would you... Would you like these disciples jump at that opportunity? Would you go, yeah, deal me in. You know, boss, I'm quitting. You know, here's the boat, here's the nets, here's the fish, you got it all. I'm gone with God. Would you, would you want to take that deal? He say, I, would you? Oh, my God. Would you? Whew, boy, I was scared there for a minute. <laughs> Good. Because you understand that Jesus is extending the same call to each and every one of us. It's still what he wants. I want to read a verse to you. It's found in the New Testament just to prove this. Uh, Book of Colossians chapter 2 verse 6. The Apostle Paul is writing to a church full of Christian people just like us. And this is what he says to them. And, And now just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you, what's that word? Must. You must continue to what? Follow him. This is what he's saying. Now that you've accepted Christ as your Savior, now that you're saved, people, here's what you need to do. You need to follow Jesus. I'm telling you, he has extended the same call to each and every one of us. He is extending the same opportunities to each and every one of us. And if we'll follow him, he'll make a difference in us that enables us to make a difference in others. That's the way this works. So how do you do that? How do you follow him? It starts by spending time with him. What did the council say they noticed about these guys? They've been with Jesus. They've been hanging out with Jesus. They've been spending time with him. What did Jesus call these guys? Come hang out with me. That, was, that is kind of the foundation of this whole following process is spending unhurried, uninterrupted time with Jesus. And guys, what do you do during that time? What do you do when you're with him? And I don't want to be redundant on this, and I'm not going to take but just maybe two minutes. But here's what you do when you're with him. You listen, talk, watch, and you listen, talk, watch, and do. When you're with him, that's what you're going to be doing. You're going to listen. You're going to give him a chance to talk to you and teach you personally. You say, how would I do that? You open up your Bible and you prayerfully encourage him to speak and you read slowly and you research adequately and you uh, reflect intentionally. All those things I taught you, you do those things until you know that he has spoken to you and you know what he has said to you. You talk to him. You know, when, you know when they'd spend the day with Jesus, and a lot of times when they were walking to the next town or they were sitting around a campfire, these disciples would start firing questions at him. Well, why couldn't we do that? What did you mean by this? When is this going to happen? You know, and, and so when you're with him, you talk to him too. You, and how do we do that? We do that through prayer. third thing you've got to do is you've got to watch him as he's setting the example for you. And I know in our minds we're sitting there thinking, hey, what? how can I watch him? I can't see him. Yeah, you can. You open up this book, and you begin reading, and the next thing you know, 
You're seeing him. You're seeing what he's doing. You're seeing how he's doing it. You're seeing why he's doing it. And you know what you do? You're watching him set the example for you. And I tell you, you listen, you talk, you watch. And then here is the really big one. You do. You put into practice those principles he taught you. You do the things he's telling you to do. You imitate his example. You do that, and I'll tell you what he'll do. He'll change you. He'll make a big difference in you. You'll become like your teacher. You'll become like him. Follow Jesus, and he'll so radically change your life that your life is like one big net just reaching out there and drawing others to Jesus. When regular people follow Jesus, he'll make a remarkable difference in them that enables them to make a remarkable difference in their world. So follow him. That's the best advice I could ever give you. That simple, follow Jesus. You understand that's my objective. In everything that I do at this church, my objective is to get you to follow Jesus. That's what I want. If you've ever wondered, I wonder what he's, wonder what he's getting at. Wonder what he, follow Jesus. That's what I want. That's what I pray for. That's what I teach for. That's what I live for. It's to help you become a follower of Christ. Now, I know what some of you just thought. If that requires spending unhurried time with him, I don't think my schedule is ever going to allow that. You know, I know that. You're busy, right? I am too. Well, I do believe that when Jesus called these four men, uh, well, let me just ask you, what were they doing? They were working. You know, they weren't sitting in front of the TV playing a video game. They, they weren't binge-watching Cheers. You know, I, you know they, they weren't sitting on the creek bank watching a float out there fighting sleep. You know, I'm telling you, these guys were busy men. They were hard-working men. I've got to believe that during the day they, they were busy cleaning and, and preparing their nets and busy cleaning and marketing fish. And then I tell you, when the evening came, Tim, they were right back on, on the sea beating the waters trying to make a living. They were busy, busy men. So how in the world did they ever find the time to spend with Jesus? How did they find that time? They sacrificed. You know why I wanted you to notice the word left and the word leaving? You know why I want. They had to make the time spend with him. And they did it by sacrificing some things. They let some things go. Spending time with him is, in, in essence, the hub of the entire Christian experience. It's so important that, guys, it is absolutely necessary that we do that. And you know what that may take for you? Sacrifice. You may have to cut back on some things and some other things you may need to eliminate all together. You know, no one ever comes to the end of their life and goes, you know what, I got a big regret. I, I just regret that I spent so much time with Jesus. Nobody comes to the end of their life and goes, you know, I, I got this big regret. I just regret I followed Jesus so closely. Nobody does. So you make whatever sacrifices you have to in order to spend time with him. You'll never regret it. The benefits will always outweigh the cost. You spend time with the difference maker, he'll make you a difference maker. And that's how regular people can make a remarkable difference. In 1980, I realized that God was calling me into the ministry. So my plan was this. I was going to enroll in a Bible college. 
And I, I knew I had to get a four-year degree, and then I'd have to go into seminary for another three years to get my master's degree. Because, you know, in, in 1980, in the ministry, education was everything. I mean, if you didn't have seven years of, of college, you, a, a church of 25 wouldn't even consider you to be their pastor. And it's what everybody else had done, and so I just assumed that's the direction I was going. Now, Lynn and I were married. We had uh, a, a daughter, Amy, and so I, we had all the responsibilities of managing a household, but, you know, we knew, I've got to get going here. I've got to enroll in a Bible college and, and get this thing moving. And so we would save up enough money to cover the tuition and books needed for the first semester. And uh, before I could enroll, something would happen. The car would break down, and we'd have to go get all that money, and we'd use it to get the car fixed. And so we'd, we'd save back up. Somebody would get sick, pull the money out, take care of the medical expenses. You know, save the money up, washing machine dies, we go to Sears. and It was just over and over. And fi- I, I'm, listen, I'm not the brightest bulb in the pack. And, and sometimes it takes me a minute or two to catch on to something. But in time, I kind of got, I I got on to this, you know. Uh, God's preventing this. Now, I don't understand. I was terribly confused. I'm like, I don't understand why you are holding that door closed on me. It's an essential step in this process. I've got to do this. Six years passed. No opportunity. One day, a pastor in my community, David Harden... Ryan's father came to my house to visit me, and he said, I want to hire you to be my associate pastor. And uh, he said, what do you think? And I said, i got to pray about this, but i got to really think about this. And, and here's, I want to tell you my holdup, Jonathan. My holdup was this. I was afraid to take a position in ministry because I didn't know anything. I didn't know how to do anything. I, I had no formal education a, at all. And so I'm thinking, I, I, it was a terribly frightening proposition to step into a position where I, I didn't know how to do anything that they'd be wanting me to do. I said, well, let me, let me take some time on this. And so as I'm trying to make up my mind, David invited me to go to this Bible conference in Atlanta, Georgia. And, and uh, I'll be honest with you, three, for three days we sat and listened uh, to the to the best preachers of our generation. Now, at the top of that list for me was Dr. Charles Stanley from, from First Baptist Lane. Anybody ever heard of Dr. Charles Stanley? Anybody heard of him? Now, I, I would have to say that Charles Stanley has been more of a mentor to me than anybody. And I know what you're thinking. Ronnie, we didn't know you know Charles. I don't. He wouldn't know me from Adam's house cat. But I'll tell you what I would do as a young preacher. I would watch his television show. I would listen to his sermons on the radio. I read all his books. And I guess I really tried to pattern my preaching ministry after his. And so some of you may idolize LeBron James as a young you know, preacher. I really idolized Dr. Charles Stanley. And so I, he's coming to preach. And so I showed up at the church, I bet you, three hours early. I wanted, to, I wanted to get as close to that pulpit as I could get. So I got on the second row. So that night, man, up steps you know, my hero, this legendary preacher, and Dr. Charles Stanley, the pastor of Atlanta First Baptist, he was the president of the Southern Baptist Convention at that time. And, and man, I'm, I'm just like, I, I, I'm so thrilled. I get to hear this guy in person. I, I remember the title of his sermon, God's Formula for Success. You know what he was, you know the question he was answering? 
how to make a difference in your world. I'm, I'm telling you, as he, got, he, as he started, I mean, I slid up on the edge of my seat. I, I, I wanted to hear anything this man had to say because he's, he's really addressing the primary question in my mind at that moment. I remember the text he took, Joshua chapter 1. And this is, this is what he said. You, you want to succeed in whatever God's given to you and, and make a difference in the lives of others? Here's what it takes. You've got to spend time with God. Private, personal time with God. And in that time, you better take out this book. And you better read it and reread it and reflect on it and research it until you know you've heard from God and you know that you know exactly what He's told you to do. And then whatever it is, you go do it. I remember the way He said it. He said, if He tells you to run your head through a brick wall, He said, you get up and you take off running in that direction. He said, if you will spend time with Him and if you will learn from Him and if you will do everything He tells you to do, God's going to do some things for you. He's going to do some things in you and He's going to do some things through you and, he is, and it's going to be through Him that you make a difference in this life. I'm sitting there thinking, wow. And then I'll never forget, Charles, he's a big, tall, lanky guy, and, and he, he came across that pulpit, and he stretched out that long arm and that long finger. is like he pointed right at me. And he said, making a difference in the lives of people has nothing to do with your education or lack thereof. It has nothing to do with abilities you think you possess or you know you don't. Making a difference for God has everything to do with the simple process of following Him. Learn from Him and do what He tells you to do. And you're going to make a difference. And then he backed up. By then, I'm blown away, man. I'm blown away. I'm like, has, has somebody called? Does he know I'm here? He backed up and he said, you know why God made it that way? So that everybody can make a difference. Everybody. We go back to our room. I looked at David and I said, I'm in. I don't know how to do anything. I'll tell you what I can do. I can meet God. I can get in his word until he speaks clear to me. And I can obey him. How that I can do. And if I come, David, that's what I'm going to do. What happened to me? You know, I thought that only remarkable people could make a remarkable difference. And I knew I'm an ordinary guy. I'm a regular dude. What am I going to do? I was set free that night. understood regular people. And they're just the kind of people God loves to use. He was looking for somebody just like me. You know what I hope will happen here today? I hope some of you will be set free. You can't sing. You can't sing a note. You don't want to preach. You know what you said? I'm far too ordinary. I'm far too ordinary to ever really do much for God. You do understand regular people can make a remarkable difference. What you've got to do, you've just got to follow God. You just got to follow God and see where the path leads and let him make that difference in you that enables you to make a difference in others. That's all you got to do. You do that, and I promise you'll come to the end of the journey and you'll look back and go, 
I had no idea what God was doing through me. So here's what I'm recommending. Follow God. You know what I think? You know what I think? I think some of you came here today, any other Sunday, you've got your reasons for being here, just any other Sunday. But it's not just any other Sunday. I believe you're at a crossroads. I believe you're saved. I believe you're a Christian. I'm not doubting that at all. But I believe God is calling you to follow Him. I believe you've accepted Him, and now you've got to make a decision. What are you going to do with Him now? You know what He wants. He wants you to follow Him. You know what it takes? It takes sacrifice. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? I'm trusting that you're going to follow Jesus. You do, and he'll make a remarkable difference within you that enables you to make a remarkable difference in people around you. Let's pray together. I just get the strongest sense that I'm talking to somebody who's a Christian, and you know you're a Christian. There's no doubt about that. You got that settled. You, you know that if you died right now, right there where you sit, you'd go to heaven. You got all that sorted out. You're, you're clear on that. I think the question is, what are you going to do between now and the day that you do go to heaven? You want to make a remarkable difference in route to heaven? You want to make a remarkable difference? Follow Christ. Develop the lifelong habit of visiting with Him. Listen, talk, watch. And then do. Do whatever he tells you to do. I promise you'll come to the end of the journey and look back and see that he has done great things. If he's calling you to that, you sense it. He's calling me to, to follow him. Just in, in the prophecy of your own heart. Why don't you just say this to him? Yes. Yes. From this day forward, like the men in this little story, I'm pursuing you. Let's see where the journey goes. In the name of Jesus, we pray this together, Lord. Help us follow you. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. I hope you have an incredible week this week.